Good morning, Hope Church. Good morning. Um, Pastor Greg has been going through Acts chapter 2, and he wanted me, he asked me, we talked about what's going on in our country right now, and he asked me to, uh, to preach on the gospel. And, uh, and I told him, I was joking with him, I said, you took all the good verses last week in your sermon. So, um, so anyway, so I have a little bit of a different emphasis today. But I remember hearing a story about a woman who was in the hospital and her father, her, her pastor, came and visited her. And she had lived a long life and uh, she was telling the pastor, um, she was near the end of her life. She told the pastor, I don't see how people make it without the Lord. I do not see how people make it without the Lord. And so I imagine that everything going on in our world in 2020, and we're not even halfway there yet, right? That people must be wondering, um, Christians must be wondering how people make it without the Lord. Uh, You don't have to pick up your Bible, you know, well, I was going to say first that a lot of people are wondering, how did we get here? Uh, to a place where there's so much violence and injustice and hatred and destruction. Um, you don't have to pick up your Bible and read very far to see where it all started. That it started with one man and one woman who were given just one rule. Oh, man, don't you wish we only had one rule that we had to follow? (laughs) So they only had one rule. But they made a choice to do what they wanted to do instead of what God wanted them to do. And when they were confronted with their sin, they did something that happens in my office almost on a weekly basis. I work with, uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I work with couples there's a lot of conflict, and uh, they do that blame game. And the wife will say, he's doing this, 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 this. And the husband will say, she's doing this, this, and this. I don't I hardly ever see anyone say, you know what, uh, counselor, uh, Pierre, I, 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 it's all me. It's all me. I'm the one who, I have a bad temper, I'm lying, I'm, I've done these things that are wrong. Whatever. I, I, that hardly ever happens. It hardly ever happens because we, we have a propensity to blame other people. Um, I remember um, a story in the Bible when uh, they brought this woman to Jesus. And uh, they, they caught her in the act of adultery. These were religious leaders. I always wondered how they caught her in the act of adultery. What were they doing? Were they watching her? Watching her house? And see somebody go in there who, who she wasn't married or whatever. And they, you know, anyway, they, they caught her in the act. And they brought her to Jesus. And they said, this woman, according to the law of Moses, deserves to be stoned. And the interesting thing is Jesus did not say this woman did not, what she did was not wrong. He didn't say she did not deserve to be stoned. He said, who is without sin, cast the first stone. And it's very funny what happened. Do you remember what happened? One, one, they dropped their stones from the oldest, beginning with the oldest, to the youngest. And if if you've lived a while, you understand why. Because if you've lived long enough, you understand that that by nature... Uh, each of us possesses within our hearts capacity for great evil. Um, try as we may to do cannot keep ourselves from, from thinking or saying or doing the wrong thing. We cannot. So is there any hope? Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope uh, for our world today? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. We've been looking at Acts chapter 2, and I've entitled the message, The Promise of the Gospel. 
the promise of the gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're looking at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start a little bit where Pastor ended, uh, verse 36 through 41. Therefore, let all the house of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that amazing? So the Apostle Peter refers to the promise. Well, what is the promise? What is the promise that the Apostle Peter is referring to? It's right there in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39. He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off For all whom the Lord our God will call. So Peter refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what Pastor Greg was preaching on last week. I want you to look back at Acts chapter 2, verse 33. When Peter is giving a sermon, he's talking about Jesus. He says, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. So, so uh, last week, Pastor Greg uh, talked about the prophecy from the book of Joel. And, and uh, I believe in, in this verse, Acts 2.33, that Peter may, uh, I say may because I'm not 100% sure, but he may be referring to another Old Testament prophecy. And this passage, if there's any passage in the Old Testament that could be characterized as good news, It's this passage that we're about to read. Uh, And if you didn't know, the gospel means good news. Uh, So we're going to look at the gospel in the Old Testament. Now, you have to remember, uh, the Bible was not written uh, until after Jesus uh, ascended to heaven. He died, crucified, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. And and then uh, they began to, the apostles and others began to write down the Gospels and the Apostle Paul began to write letters or whatever. And eventually, some hundred years afterwards, then the Bible would be completed. The canon of Scripture would be completed. But at that time, all they had was the Old Testament. And remember, when Jesus was walking uh, down the road to Emmaus, what did he open to those two that were walking? The Scriptures. The Scriptures. And so... Look, let's look at Ezekiel 11, verses 17 through 20. For say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. I will give, back, I will give you back the land of Israel again. That's, that's good just there. That's a great. They'd be like, woohoo. That's awesome. Woo. Going home. But it gets so much better. He says, uh, they will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. 
We've seen, we've seen what the world is capable of. And if you know history, you know this is not the first time that, that people oppressed and murdered, that there's been injustice, that there have been riots, that there have been plagues. This is not the first time uh, uh, we say, oh, this is unprecedented. unprecedented. I hate that word <laughs> because all of this has been precedented. All of this has happened before. We just don't, maybe not in our lifetimes, but if you look back over history, there have been all these, all this unrest, all this hatred, all this division in our world and in countries and so forth. There have been all of this. Can you imagine a world with people whose hearts are fully devoted to the Lord? Can you imagine, can you imagine a world where people's hearts are filled with the Holy Spirit? who have hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone, where we no longer struggle to do the right thing, where every one of our thoughts, every one of our deeds was pure and holy. No disrespect to, uh, to Louis Armstrong, but that it would be a wonderful world. That would be a wonderful world. I mean, even, can you imagine, say, boy, if that were in my home, if, if my kids were that way, if my husband, if my wife were that way, boy, wouldn't that be awesome? And so the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 is preaching a gospel message. And we, hear, we see three things about the gospel from this passage. First of all, the gospel is God's plan. The gospel is God's plan. Acts 2, 22 through 23, and, and, and Pastor kind of, kind of went through this, but he didn't really kind of expound on it, and I wanted to go over it. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among him through you, through, which did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing the cross. Now, now this does not, you know, the fact that God had this plan does not mean that they were not accountable for their actions. I mean, Peter is very, and, and several times in the book of Acts, he says, you killed, you They did not like that. They didn't like, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders did not like that they were being blamed for the death of Jesus. But it says, through God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So Peter says that Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection was God's deliberate plan. Uh, 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 Mike was talking about before the foundation of the world. Before he even created Adam and Eve, God, had already, God already knew what was going to happen, and he already had a plan. For, I don't know if you, you're a planning person, and, and I, it always amazes me how, how people, they're traveling, or they, and they, they, they plan for almost every contingency. Uh, maybe you're one of those people, and we need you if you, if you have that, and if you're married to someone like grateful for that. Or if you work with somebody like that, you're grateful that they have this plan. Well, God had the ultimate plan. Where did it start? It, it began in eternity. But I want you to look at the very first part of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the proton evangelon. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, the Greek, the Greek, Wilson, maybe he can make sure I said it right. Proto evangelon. It's the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent, the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I don't know if you get that. I don't know if anyone in here has been bitten by a snake. Um... The worst I've gotten bit was by a scorpion. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that hurt. Uh, that really, really hurt. But guess what? 
I'm still here. Guess where that scorpion is? Dead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That scorpion is dead. And so uh, Satan is defeated. He's just, he's, he's bad in his time because he's got, he's got an end and it's coming. And the end is for him is coming. So, so that's the first mention of the gospel. Um, and then, let's start there. Isaiah 53. And we're looking at verses 4 through 10. And some of you know this, uh, this passage. Uh, we, we read it. We look at it during Easter. Talking about the suffering servant, the Messiah. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What a vivid description of the sufferings of Jesus. Hundreds of years before it happened. Now, I think it's important to remember. We talk about, you know, we share the gospel with people. We're, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. I think we need to start before that. And it was, it's really interesting, the song, the hymn that you picked <laughs> before, the, uh, before the, or the message. Um, why? Why did Jesus have to die? Earlier in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah paints an awesome picture of the character and nature of God. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 7. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a lot of coal in his hands and taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You know, in that when it says holy, 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 it, it means... Holy, holier, holiest. Holy, holier, holiest. There is no one. I love the song. We sing, we sing, holy, there is no one like you. There is no, there's no one beside you. There's no way that we can ever make up for the wrongs that you and I have done. And to be quite honest, we can to do as Christians, as Christians who have Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, we continue to sin. Uh, we can never make up 
And God planned for Jesus to die for our sins because he is holy. So the gospel is God's plan. Second, the gospel is about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And we know this. This is this. You're familiar with this. You, if you've gone to church any length of time, you know Jesus lived and he was holy. Jesus was crucified and then he was buried and he rose again from the dead and then he ascended. We all know this. I'm not going to spend time uh, expo- ex- ex- giving exposition of this particular task, text, but that is the gospel. That is the gospel. It's the life, the death, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And anything that departs from that is not the gospel. Is not the gospel. Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. You know, one of the favorite songs that we sing here, Living He Loved Me. Living He Loved Me. Dying He Saved Me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Glorious day. We haven't sang that in a while, have we? <laughs> but I love that song. And you can tell, you can tell when that people are lifting their hands and they're singing out loud, especially that last verse. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Why? Why are we looking forward to a glorious day? Because Jesus died. He was, he was crucified. He died for our sins. And he was raised from the dead. We have forgiveness. We have hope. We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So God, the gospel is God's plan. The gospel is about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And third, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Look at Acts 2.39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So, so this word, this idea of far, far off, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to do an in-depth uh, looking at the Greek and, and, and like Pastor does, but my sense is that, you know, you know talking about people, you've got the Jewish people, and then you have everybody else. You have God's chosen people, and then you have everybody else. And we're the ones. That's all of us. That's, no matter your ethnicity, no matter what country you're from, we all other. In fact, it says in the Bible, I didn't put this on there, but it says you were without hope, without God in the world. Look at First uh, John 2, 2. Uh, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not, o- and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Whoever the Lord calls, no matter where they are from, and you can look at it another way, no matter what they have done, no matter whether they're good or bad, no matter whether they're poor or rich, no matter their status in life, no matter if they're marginalized, no matter if they have power, all of us, all of us, Jesus Christ has died for all of our sins. And I love that promise for all who are far off because God's grace is truly 
amazing. God's grace is truly amazing. So how can we apply? How can we apply what we have just heard? So we're gonna, first of all, we want to believe the gospel. Uh, so I want to make sure that when this word believe is not just giving a mental assent. You know, the, what did James say? The devils believe and tremble. This is not talking about simple mental assent. And I don't have time to read each of these passages, but I'm going to sum up. And you're saying, thank goodness. Uh, I'm going to sum up what each of them is saying. Well, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Acts 15.7-8, through 8, talking about the Gentiles, they heard and believed. Mark 1-5, through 5, the gospel, when Jesus preached the gospel, he said, repent and believe. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, what does it say? By, uh, through grace, by faith, through grace, we are saved. We are saved by faith. Solo, uh, what is it? I, I don't remember the, the there we go. So <laughs> the one of the five solos. And then one of my favorite, John 1, 12. We receive Jesus and we believe in him. We receive him and we believe in him. So from these passages, we see believing the gospel involves hearing, repenting, believing, and receiving Jesus. Again, it involves hearing the gospel, repenting of our sins, believing in Jesus and his sacrifice, and receiving him. So we need to we need to and then we, uh, Pastor last week talked about repentance being a change of our minds. I do this therapy called uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that is, is we work on what a person believes. Because no matter how hard, okay, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm going to spend time with my wife and kids. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to try to you know, get some exercise. And, and for a little while, they will do all those things. But guess what? They go back to what they were doing. Why? Because they have not changed their minds. They have not changed what they believe. You know, this is a very important with regard to giving. You say, I believe the importance of giving. And I believe if I give, God's going to provide for all of my needs. And you say, I'm going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to give. And you come up, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money this month. You have to change what you believe. I say you have to change. And Romans 12 makes it clear that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we, we repent. We change our minds about God and about ourselves. We believe what God has promised. That if we believe in him and place our faith and trust in him, we will be saved. And finally, we receive Jesus. We receive him not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. So we believe the gospel. And then finally, the congregation's favorite word, finally. (laughs) Finally, we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. Well, who do we preach the gospel to? There's two two sets of people that we need to preach the gospel to. The first is to the lost. And I'm just going to run through these verses very quickly. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you said, hey, wait a second. It doesn't say anything about preaching the gospel there. Well, look at Jesus' words words in Acts 24, 46-48. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You cannot separate 
evangelism from discipleship. And I think a lot of the problems we have in the church and in our country are the result of a failure to do both. To preach the gospel, to evangelize people, and to disciple them in the faith. That's the source of so many problems in our, fa- in our personal lives, in our families, in our s- cultures, our societies. That failure, in my, my opinion. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. You know, I, I get kind of animated, you know, when, when I preach. Uh, <laughs> um, me and Pastor and I, we were having breakfast. And uh, we were talking about everything that's going on. And, and I told him I was not going to get political because, because, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I don't know why things continue to be. I mean, I can't, I'm not a sociologist, uh, uh, so, so I, and I'm not a theologian, I've not been to seminary, I have a, a Bible, uh, college education, okay, so I'm not as smart as some other people, all right, but what I do feel, I don't know how we got to be here, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing in response, I don't know, but I know this, that the ultimate And I put that word on there because maybe there's some other things that we need to be doing. But guess what? The ultimate answer is the gospel. The ultimate answer is us to be reconciled to God. We cannot be reconciled to one another if we are not reconciled to God. First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so I... Um, I told mentioned I'm a family marriage and family therapist, and uh, I, I I originally thought I was going to go into the ministry. I was going to be a pastor, because as you could tell, I love to preach. But being a pastor is about so much more than preaching, and I realized soon that I don't have those other gifts that are necessary for being a pastor. And I appreciate those that do, men like Roger DeYoung and and Greg Brady. I'm thankful, aren't you grateful, for men who not only declare God's word, but who pastor. What a great pastor we've had. Uh, But I remember when I first got called to be a marriage and family therapist, a counselor, and I used to make fun of my friends because when I was at Moody, Moody Bible Institute, I I, uh, was in the pastoral ministry program. I had a bunch of my friends were in the counseling program, and I'm like, I would like look down at them, you, you goobers, whatever, you know. You, <laughs> you're gonna be. I'm gonna be a pastor. Y'all be a counselor. And look what happened. I'm the counselor now, <laughs> and they're all they're all pastors, you know. <laughs> so so. Um, but when I was at when I was at Covenant House, it's, if you don't know what Covenant House is, we sometimes give to them. It's a shelter for runaway, throwaway, and homeless youth. It's heartbreaking to see a kid being thrown out of their house, living on the street, having to sell their bodies, having to to do drugs. And there's a lot of people, they're, they're focusing on helping these kids, and I thought it was wonderful, helping them get jobs, helping them get education. I said, you know what, we got to stop this. We have to stop the breakdown of the family. We cannot keep, continue. We, we, 
Helping these kids, yes, wonderful, awesome, but we got to deal with the root, which was this lack of love and commitment and, and, and uh, this training and commitment to your children. So I thought the best way to help these kids was to never see them again <laughs> by working with their families and working with families and helping families to stay together to be reconciled. And I can tell you, family comes in, a couple comes in. They're a Christian couple or they're a, a non-Christian couple. It's much easier. And I have more hope if they're a Christian couple. If they're a Christian couple. So, um, we need to preach the gospel to the lost. And some of you, I was talking to someone, I won't mention their name. Some of you might guess who it is. He asked me what I was preaching on, and I said, I'm preaching on the gospel. He's like, oh, no. You've heard that message a thousand times. If you don't think the gospel is for you and me as Christians, you do not understand the gospel. The gospel is is for you and for me. We never stop needing the gospel. We never stop needing what is preached in these, in these verses that we looked at. Uh, remember what we said, that the gospel involves hearing, repenting, believing, and receiving Jesus. And this does not stop once we get saved. Not because we need to get saved over and over again, but we need to preach the gospel to ourselves because we are in the process of becoming like Jesus. Paul said, I have not yet attained. Uh, is there anyone here who has attained? I don't see any hands. <laughs> I don't see any hands. We have not yet attained. We've not yet attained. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but I have a long way to go. And don't anyone say amen. <laughs> if you know me, if you know me, if, if you've gotten close to me, you say, oh, yeah, man, he's got a long way to go. I know. I have a long way to go. Listen to Hebrews 24 to 25, because the first thing we need to do is we need to listen to the gospel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? This is a, an epistle written to Christians. Here's the question. Do we listen when God speaks to us? Do we listen to when he warns us about the consequences of doing things our own way instead of his way? Do we listen when he tells us to forgive, to be patient, and to resist temptation? Do we listen? We need to listen and then we need to repent. And, and these are not my words. These are from the book of James, chapter 4, 4 through 10. And every time I read this, I kind of cringe a little bit. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It kind of sounds a little bit like what we were talking about in Sunday school, about repenting, Right? This is what it means to repent. This is what it means to repent. When we sin, 
when we sin, not if we sin. When we sin, we need to repent. We need to repent of our pride. We need to repent of our lust, our greed, our hatred, our jealousy. We need to listen. We need to repent. And then we need to believe. John 1.9, you all know this. And again, this is talking about the Christian. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise that when we acknowledge our sin, God forgives us. He forgives us because he is faithful. When we confess our sins, God forgives us and he purifies us and he makes us clean. Does that sound like anything you've heard earlier? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. I love the song that we sing, and we don't sing it enough, in my my opinion. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bend Bid me fence depart. No tongue can bid me fence depart. If you're a Christian and you're struggling under the weight and the guilt of sin, you need to hear the gospel that God forgives, that God purifies, that God cleanses, that God restores. That is good news. Good news. Then last, we need to receive the gospel. Revelations 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This verse is often used to share the gospel with people, but it's, it's not talking to non-Christians. We already talked about the road to Emmaus. Remember those disciples are walking down? Remember what happened? Jesus was opening the scriptures to them, and then they're like, no, please, Jesus. Jesus went on like he was going on his way, and they're like, no, Jesus, stay. We're not done talking yet. And they started, they brought him in, and they, had, they kept talking, and they had, had dinner with him, and he broke the bread. And they recognized it was Jesus, and then Jesus disappeared. But what did they say later when they were telling the other apostles, did not our hearts burn Within us, receiving Jesus is not a one-time thing that we do. And again, I'm not talking about being saved over and over again. No, I'm talking about having to, talking about this in Sunday school, where you nurture and uh, that relationship that you have with Christ by spending time with Him, spending time in His Word, praying. That's what it means, inviting Him. To every area of your life. Every area. That's what it means to to receive Jesus. When we're tired, when we're discouraged, when we feel like failures, when we have failed, when we don't know what to do, we need the gospel. We need the crucified and risen Christ to to come alongside of us, strengthen us, and encourage us. So I want to end. Everybody said, Amen. (laughs) I wanted to end this message. I want to show a scene from one of my favorite movies. I wanted to show this video clip because I believe it contains a clear presentation of the gospel. I I, I think this is one of the the finest scenes in um, movie history or whatever. And I also want to assure you that I'm not trying to make a political statement. I want to give you some context. This is from a movie called Amistad. If you're not familiar, this is a, it's loosely based on a true story. There was a, 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 um, a slave ship uh, called La Amistad, and there were some tribe men from uh, the Mendi tribe in Africa. I think it's off Sierra Leone. And they had been abducted, but they were able to take control of the ship. And uh, one of the things that they did was they killed the, the captain and then they began uh, 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 taking control of the ship. Well, the, 
the people who actually knew how to steer the ship, because the Mindy tribemen didn't know, they actually steered it to Cuba, close enough to be captured uh, by a uh, U.S. ship. And, and then there was this long legal battle that took place. I don't want to tell you how it ends, but I would recommend that you watch it. It's a great, it's, a, it's an awesome movie. And the scene we're going to about to watch takes place when these tribesmen are in jail. And uh, uh, it's a very crude jail, and they're all in there. And, and uh, um, they're, they're, you know, they're waiting for the next part of the trial. And these missionaries come by. And one of the missionaries gives one of the tribe men a Bible. <laughs> uh, gave the Bible, and it's in English. <laughs> so, I don't even call that cultural insensitivity or, or what, but they ain't going to read. They didn't know what to read in that Bible. But these are one of those old Bibles that had the pictures in it. And I want you to watch what happens.
I have to say, because of the circumstances going on in our country, does God care about injustice? Of course. Does God care about blacks, whites, Hispanic, Asians? Yes. Does he care about immigrants? Does he care about victims of sex trafficking? Does he care about poor people, rich people, the homeless? Does he care about the sick and the healthy, people with addictions? Does he care about the marginalized and people with power? Yes, 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 yes. But more than injustice, more than any suffering, whether it's due to the choices of others or our own choices, more than any of this, he cares about our souls. That's what the gospel is all about. And the gospel is the only thing that can truly be, bring hope in this life and the next. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Father, we just thank you, Lord. Remember what you said, in, in, uh, what was said of, of you in the passage you read in uh, Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to set at liberty them, those that are held captive, to deal with the oppression, Father. You, that's what you sent Jesus to do, Lord. And, and, and some of us are oppressed for different reasons, Lord, but we are all oppressed spiritually. We are all lost, and we all need the gospel. Some of us, for the first time, and some of us to be repeated to ourselves again and again, Lord. Father, help us never lose the wonder, the wonder of the gospel. May we never forget the promise of the gospel. May we share the gospel with the lost. May we preach the gospel to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.